He is risen. Now, everyone at home as well, we're all going to do it together. He is risen. risen. We're so grateful that you are here today, uh, either with us online or in person. It's just, it's a little overwhelming. It's good to be the family today. I, uh, we first met when I was really young, I mean really young, but we kind of began the relationship in a very positive way in elementary school. In elementary school, we just kind of got each other. Um, uh, we, we, we understood, but as we grew older, the relationship became much more complicated. Middle school, I started feeling the drift, but certainly by my sophomore year of high school, Uh, this relationship was not in a good spot. I would see other people uh, flourishing in this relationship, realize they were taking a significant amount of of time. I wasn't willing to do that. And eventually what I determined was that by about my junior year of high school that I could organize my life to not need this relationship much. I'm talking about me and math. When we were younger, it all worked out. But as we got older, it became very complicated. Now here's the thing with math. Um, I actually have done pretty okay in my life without needing math. I remember researching different schools I could go to, what the minimum requirement was. It's challenging for me. It's God's sense of humor that he would put me at a church with scientists and brilliant people. Um, But I'm grateful (laughs) to be with you. Uh, But the point here is this, based on experience and based on ignorance, you and I can find all kinds of ways to not need certain parts of life that other people need. Uh, For math, I rendered it kind of useless for what I wanted to do with my life and organize my life in such a way. Now here we are, however many years later, and I wish I had a different relationship. I wish I could help my 12-year-old son with his homework. I wish that when I sat with some of you, I could understand more how math works for you and your career. But the reality was, and the reality is for each one of us, we can quite easily set up our lives without certain things. And I've been wondering lately, especially this week, as I've read some articles, how, how similar that is in terms of faith for many people. And maybe at one point, this relationship of faith with God was something that made sense, but as you've grown older, it became more complicated. For many people, they draw upon a negative experience or a series of negative experiences with faith or with church or with Christians and say, I am going to set up my life without much need for all of this. Oftentimes, we can also set up our lives without faith out of just just authentic ignorance of understanding how all this makes sense. And and maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching today. And and if you were very honest, even if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how much does faith really play into your day-to-day living? We come to a day like today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, And we recognize that it's this day where so many people come with that kind of set up my life without. Some of you have been following the Gallup poll for the first time since 1937 made a report this week that under 50% of Americans identify as people who are part of a church. So below 50% for the first time in Gallup's 
uh, history. Below 50% is the world we live in. And I would think that some of that 53% are people who have found a way to set up their life without much need. Probably because of experiences. Probably because of ignorance. Beyond the Gallup poll, you and I, hopefully, because we hopefully are in relationship with friends and family who don't know God, and maybe you found yourself here with us today, where what was promised to you in terms of what faithfulness and what following Jesus looked like has never been truly experienced. And so we come to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus today, the centerpiece of our Christian faith, the very essence of what brings us together as followers of Jesus. And for so many, it's truly just a a story, a story that's limited A story that's been told over and over and over again that focuses on mostly just the eternal realities of our lives because of Jesus rising from the dead. Meaning because Jesus rose from the dead, you and I, once we die, if we have faith in Jesus, we can be with him forever and we have this eternal perspective of a day like today. And I say, amen, praise God. But if that story of Easter is only connected to the eternal truths and the story of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus doesn't impact your life today and the lives around you today, then it's possible that the resurrection of Jesus is a very distant story of religious life. Or it's a story of religious fable. Or maybe it's just rhetorical religious flattery. What we have come to celebrate today is not only a distant story, but I believe, and we'll look at a text and just be together briefly today, and my hope is that as we enter the Easter story today, that you and I, no matter where we are in terms of how we've set up our life, faith or no faith, that we would find that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just something that happened back then, but that the resurrection of Jesus matters to us today in 2021. That we would look at the story of Jesus and his resurrection and not think it was just for those people way back when who who were there or who recorded the story, but that we would begin to see that on that holy week, on that week where Jesus would die and rise from the dead, he had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. He had you on his heart. He had me on his heart. And he had 2021 right in the very forefront of his brain. If you've rendered the story of Easter and Jesus as a distant story that doesn't connect to today, I invite you into the story that takes dead things, hopeless moments, hard realities. But because Jesus rose from the dead, all can be transformed. So just for the next few minutes, I want to explore and suggest that Jesus is closer to your life and Jesus is closer to our lives than we might normally see. I'm suggesting that for your life today and this very present moment, the year we have lived, the year we are continuing to live, all of this was on Jesus's mind. All of this was on his heart as he was sacrificed on that cross on Calvary and as he rose victoriously from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. We are going to read just six verses 
the final six verses of what's called the high priestly prayer. This is in John 17, one of those things we've been talking about for many weeks now here at Lake Avenue Church, these final words, these final prayers of Jesus before he was to face the cross. We know he will continue to pray, but we get a a very intimate moment capturing the very prayer that Jesus prays to his fathers before he's handed over to be arrested and to be killed and ultimately to be resurrected. It's like we get a glimpse into Jesus's prayer journal. And you and I both know that if we know death is coming, if we know that our time is limited, that the things we capture in prayer, the things we say to the people we love in relationship, they are of the most important things we want them to remember. And so as we look at John 17, verses 20 to 26, that's our context. And this prayer is the very evidence of why today and you were on Jesus' mind. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John 17, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. And I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a prayer about us. This is a prayer that Jesus prays long ago that mentions you and mentions me. This is a prayer about the we that God is building in his church, the we that God is building for people who believe and follow a risen Savior. This prayer began centuries ago, and we are here because the we that we are connected to was faithful. God's grace was bigger than their others' faithfulness, but because this message of the larger we, this prayer for the we-ness has been lived out, we find ourselves here. So on this Easter Sunday, with the desire to bring the resurrection close to our lives, close to this moment we are living in, I want you to see just three things from this prayer. And the first is this. Did you know that we are the they and them that Jesus prayed for? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, that's us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they, this is us, 
May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is an incredibly amazing historical figure. But Jesus is the living God. And as he's praying to his father before he's to face death and ultimately be resurrected, he had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. And he uttered a prayer that we would be the people that he's called us to be. Uh, the Bible is an incredible text. If you, aren't, if you don't know the scriptures, I invite you to begin a journey with God through the scriptures. And it's, they're, they're incredibly meaningful and powerful, and they lay out God's will and his way of living in this world. But they is not a text that you aren't a part of. It's a text that you and I are invited into all of the time. And Jesus, in his very prayer to his Father, before he goes to the cross, is praying for you in this moment and us right now in this moment. We are the they and them that Jesus prayed for. And you know what he says in this prayer? He says that you and me, we are perfectly loved and we are loved perfectly. In verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Listen to this. This is some of the most radical statement of Jesus. Speaking to his father that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In verse 26, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Even as you have loved me, Jesus saying to his father, Father, the love you have for me as the son, that same love is the love that he has for each one of us. This is a radical prayer. The love, of the, the love that the Father has for the Son is the love that God has for you and for me, even as. He proclaims the love that you have for me, I want it to be in them. And we are the they and them of this prayer. Perfect love, loved perfectly, completely unique and radical in this context back then and today. And I, I would assume that if you've been around church or heard church people talk or maybe you talk, you have heard this idea of God's love, his perfect love all the time. But the reality is you and I don't live in a, in a world with perfect love. And it's hard to wrap our brains around. What does it mean that God loves me perfectly and that I'm perfectly loved when all around me are stories and experiences of lovelessness? You and I live in a world of broken love being the main story. You and I live in a world where lovelessness is all over around us, in our families, on the media, in the world we live in. It's lovelessness, lovelessness, lovelessness. And yet we read that the perfect love of God, the, God, the love that God the Father has for his son Jesus is the same love he has for you and me but we are in broken love and lovelessness all the time. Lovelessness looking like at times hate. Not far, not hard to see that in the world we live in. Not hard to experience that for many of you. Lovelessness is also the absence of love. Commitments that were made, maybe from a parent to a child that were never lived out. Vows that were made between husband and wife that have never been lived out. Distortions of love, 
abuses of love. No, these are the stories we're all too familiar with. Even the most healthy marriage in this room is not one that can be described as perfectly loved because we're just too human. And what we celebrate at Easter is that all the lovelessness, all the hate, all the absence, all the distortions, all the abuse, all of the broken stories of love, when Jesus hung on that cross, he took all of that brokenness, put it on himself, so that when he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, what he was saying is that that brokenness, that lovelessness does not have the final word. That that lovelessness is redeemed in the perfect love of Jesus. And here's the wild thing. Jesus prayed for you and for me to enter into that love relationship with God. To be loved perfectly is for you and I just to simply receive the love of God. But it's not a love we're to hoard. We don't just live our lives with God saying, I've received the love of God there's a deeper invitation in this prayer. And the invitation is not just to receive the love of God, but to enter into the love of God. You and me, me and them, I and you, I and them. The loving relationship that God has, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you and I are invited into that loving relationship, which means we don't just have to receive, but we can actually live our lives in relationship with the loving God. And I would say this, that the degree in which we receive the love of God, the degree in which you and I enter into the loving relationship of God is connected to the second part of what Jesus prays. The degree in which we receive the love of God in our own lives, the degree to which you and I live in a loving relationship with God as people is connected to our ability to see ourselves as a larger we. Jesus in this moment has we on his mind. You and I live in a world where we're supposed to just take care of me and my own. And the degree in which we allow God's love to penetrate us is the degree in which we get excited about and fight for the larger we that Jesus prays for, the we of his people that longs to live in unity with one another to give witness to the perfect love of God to Jesus for all people. Now, this is how messed up the world we live in is. The pastor tells you on Easter Sunday that love and unity are what we're talking about. And for some of you, you go right to, look, those are worldly values. Love and unity. No, no, church. Love and unity is our DNA as the people of God. Jesus' final prayer is him declaring the love the Father has for the Son is the same love that he has for you. And the way we love one another, the way we come together as the people of God is the very evidence to the world who Jesus is. This is not worldly philosophy. This is our DNA. But our world is so broken. It's so broken that we forget this major part of Jesus' prayer and a major part of Easter 2021 at Lake Avenue Church. And it's very simple. We are to be a people of unity. Listen to the prayer again. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you've sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, to be sure, now I'm just going to make some guesses from the way you've clapped after different things, the effort that it takes to sign up to come to church on Sunday morning, even the effort to sign into YouTube. That this Easter 2021, that there's an overwhelming majority of us who say, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that I'm perfectly loved and that I can love perfectly in relationship with God. And I would also argue that the state of us as the people of God is one that doesn't recognize that we are to be a people of unity and that it's God's design for us to love one another in such a way that we become the evidence of the resurrection to this world. Now you can find lots and there's appropriate time for this. This is not a sermon where I'm going to dig up archaeological evidence to prove that the resurrection really happened in history. There's times where that would be the most important thing for the people of God. But I would tell you more than history from the past or evidence from the past, the moment you and I are living in right now calls for you and me to be the evidence of the resurrection in the way we are one, in the way we come together. This is not my plan, it's not the church's plan, it's Jesus' plan. He says, for his sake and his glory, for his love, for his gospel, his plan to rescue the world involves you and me who believe in Jesus, who call on the love of Jesus to be a unified people. It's our very DNA. And if 2020 and continuing into 2021 has taught us anything, it's this. And let's be honest, we're not quite there yet. Notice what Jesus is building. He's building a people. He doesn't say, here's the way I'm going to demonstrate to the world who I am. I'm going to set up a nation. He did in the Old Testament. He doesn't in the New Testament. He's building a people. He doesn't say, here's here's how I want you to to live. I want you to come up with some good morals and, and let those penetrate society. And that's the way people will know that I have risen and that I am, that God sent me. No, he says, I'm building you to be a people. And all you need to do is receive the love, enter love, and then be in unity with one another. This is not pie in the sky philosophy. This is Bible, friends. He sets up a people. The only reason that you and I are here, let's read Acts. The early church was a group of people who had no business being in one another's lives. A church of young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, all calling on the name of Jesus, calling the resurrection of Jesus the very essence that defines them. And they changed the world. The early church being a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-class, something that doesn't make sense to the world. This is what Jesus prays that we become because it's if we can do this, we can proclaim resurrection. But we know all too well that you and I live in a world of great division, incredible division, and even division among people who have the same love that the Father has for the Son, the same love of God. I woke up early today, went to my office, put on one of my favorite worship music songs via YouTube. And I made the mistake to read the comments. Just watched a bunch of Christians arguing over the lyrics of a worship song. We can't even enjoy a worship song on YouTube without 
getting mad at each other. I think it breaks the heart of God. And I think it's those moments that make our faith not very attractive, and they certainly doesn't scream that resurrection happened. They can't even listen to a song together, and yet Jesus says to be one and unified. Lake Avenue Church, the evidence of the resurrection is on you and it's on me in this moment. It's what Jesus prayed for, and this is the moment you and I are alive. And the question I have for all of us, myself included, is how close is the resurrection to your daily living? How close is the resurrection to your experience of God even in a church? Is it possible that we've set up our lives and even our faith to not kind of include the major parts of the faith according to Jesus? A faith without love, a faith that celebrates and encourages division. Lives that focus on lovelessness versus love. Lives that add to the drama of division rather than being a people who seek unity. None of these things are easy. I fail at them all the time. But is it possible that the resurrection of Jesus speaks to this moment in each one of our lives? That we have a message to proclaim of being perfectly loved. That we're not a people seeking division. That we could be people marked by love and a church marked by unity. Now, I recognize that in the world we live in, and I recognize the world we are living in right now, this call to unity and love sits in the tension of lovelessness and division, and it can seem so pie-in-the-sky philosophy. It can seem as if it's just a generic call to be nice with one another. Sounds foolish a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Love and unity might, from an earthly perspective, in this moment, 2021, Pasadena, California, or wherever you're joining us, might be a foolish endeavor, might just be a trite saying, but I'm here to proclaim that I believe it's an invitation. It's an invitation to be the people that Jesus prayed for. And in this invitation, I think what we will find is real living, real faith, a faith that matters for here and now, a faith that impacts your daily living and the lives around you and the life of our society. Easter is the reminder that dead, hopeless things can become alive and have hope. That dark becomes light. That the worst parts of our world, the worst parts of humanity, the worst moments we have participated in can all be redeemed in the perfect love of Jesus. All of that, because of the resurrection, gives us hope. And we believe that it's the power of God, as demonstrated mainly, mostly in the resurrection of Jesus, that gives us hope to be this kind of people. I'll close in a second, but I really do encourage you, if you have not read um, the editorial from the New York Times on Friday, it's titled, The Unsettling Power of Easter. It's written by theologian Dr. Esau McCauley. He's at Wheaton. He's a brilliant man. I read everything that he says. I want to share a quote he shares. It's important for you to know as he speaks about the black church, he is an African-American, and that will make sense in a moment. But listen to what he says about the we. 
Christians at their best are the fools who dare believe in God's power to call dead things to life. That's the testimony of the black church. It's not that we have good music, we do, or excellent preaching, we do. The testimony of the black church is that in times of deep crisis, we somehow become more than our collective ability. We become a source of hope that did not originate in ourselves. Easter 2021, Lake Avenue Church, people joining Lake Avenue Church, may we be the kind of fools that believe God is still in the business of making unity from division. May we be the kind of fools who believe that the perfect love of God can heal the lovelessness in this world. May we be the kind of people who don't feel like we have to draw upon ourselves to do something crazy, but that if we can live in the love of God, that we can become the we that Jesus prays for. What dead things need to come to life for you? Where's your, your negativity? Where's your hurt? Where's your pain? What can be given over to Jesus in this moment? Because Easter, Easter is the day where we celebrate that dead things come to life. I know there's a lot of angst in some of us when you read a statistic that only 47% of Americans say they are church members. We recognize on that first Easter the percentage was much lower. I have all kinds of hope in the world that if we can enter into the love of God and become the we Jesus prayed for, that people will want resurrection in their life and want to see that faith in Jesus is quite useful. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, oh, Lake Avenue church, let's stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Amen.